0: Love Talk Radio.
1: is
2: everybody doing today? Man, I am sick and tired of the winter. The number of times in a day I think about Miami, is endless. Seriously don't know why I'm still getting snowed on. I feel like I should be uh, basking in the sunlight, which brings me happiness. I've said this before. Um, I really do feel like my my mood is much more tied to the weather than most people. I definitely have that seasonal affective disorder. Um, so, yeah, I'm an idiot for being where I am. And it's easily solvable, but I'm an idiot. So what are you going to do? You just got to deal with it. Uh, but enough of my personal struggles. There's so much to get to today. Where I'm going to talk about probably the best thing that Biden has done so far. Um, although I will give you, you know, I'll give you some caution in the midst of the segment, as I always do, and as I always will, in regards to how Weasley some of these fuckers are. Um, I got a bunch of stuff from Fox News today. I got the Republican Civil War, which, if anything, is just heating up more and more. Um, Morning Joe goes back to being Morning Joe. Remember, we had like a week of him being somewhat reasonable and somehow acting like he's further left than he is well he's right back to normal normal stuff um and what's the other thing that i wanted to tease for you guys i already said the biden the best thing biden did um oh oh oh, oh, the youtube purge there is another youtube purge that we're going to talk about and again that is incredibly disturbing so all right let's get started guys without further ado Uh, Like I said, we'll start with Biden's, maybe his best thing yet. So um, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but I will say that if the reporting is accurate, this might be the best news we've gotten yet from the Biden administration. The Associated Press said, and this is a few days back now, um, Biden is halting U.S. support for Saudi Arabia's offensive in Yemen. Blamed for humanitarian crisis. Okay, so there's a number of ways to look at this, and up front, I'm going to say we're going to proceed with caution. Now, the reason I say we're going to proceed with caution is because every other time we've gotten a headline that's an overwhelmingly positive headline, when you dig a little deeper, it turns out there were some tricks involved, and there were some sleights of hand, and Um, so you have to keep your wits about you and you have to evaluate these things on a case by case basis and look at all the evidence. So in the case of private prisons, remember when all the headlines were like, Biden is banning private prisons, it was something to that effect, there were a lot of headlines that were like overreaching. And then when you read the specifics, it turns out, it's only for like, the Justice Department. And that makes up a total of 14,000 prisoners, and there's over 100,000 prisoners in uh, private prisons, and he could have ended private prisons for ICE detention centers as well, and he didn't, even though 67% of the ICE detention centers are private prisons. So he only got rid of like a small percentage of the private prisons and is not re-upping their contract, but he got full credit in the media from the headlines as if he was like eliminating all private prisons. So that's why I say we need to proceed with caution, because you always realize it's not as good as it initially appears. The other thing was the Buy America executive order. Now, Trump totally flopped on that and backtracked, and he went from saying he's going to sign a Buy America executive order to doing a stupid, symbolic Buy America week, which is non-substantive at all. Like, there's no there there for that. Um, What Biden did is Biden got all the headlines of he signed his Buy America executive order, but again, you read the specifics, and it turns out um, it's not fully Buy America. The idea behind it, just so everybody knows, the ideal answer would be for the federal government to only buy products that are made in America. And the reason why that would be great is because it would increase manufacturing in this country, and it would have it would lead to high-paying jobs in this country, and it would stimulate our economy here. And um, the way it worked in the past is, we could buy from, you know, the federal government can buy not just from America, but our allies, too. And so we would be helping their economies and not necessarily spurring manufacturing in this country. So what Biden did is he just changed the rules a little bit to make it so that the federal government will buy more American products. But there's always, there's loopholes, and, you know, the loopholes are like, hey, maybe it only has to be assembled in America, you know, um, or we buy America up to a certain price threshold. And he increases the price threshold a little bit. So when you read the specifics of that executive order, it was like, okay, it's a step in the right direction, but it's a baby step, and he's not signing the actual executive order that we all want. Okay, so now, we come full circle, circle, and we're going to talk about what's happening in Yemen. So Saudi Arabia is one of our top allies. We've been arming them, we've been funding them, and there's been periods on and off intermittently where we actually help them with the coordinates of their bombing campaign. There's a genocide happening in Yemen. People are starving. The goods that they need in that country are not getting in. There's a shortage of medicine. It is a catastrophe, and it's a totally preventable catastrophe. And it all goes back to the Houthis, the Shia Houthis, basically taking over Yemen from a previous Sunni government. And so Saudi Arabia is trying to get rid of the Houthis, and have their own puppet government in charge there, effectively. And so, a number, so many people have died as a result of this. So, is it possible Biden saying yes, we're totally going to back out of our support for Saudi Arabia in the war on Yemen? It's possible. It's possible. My fear is this amounts to oh, we're no longer going to, for example, help them with their coordinates of their bombing campaign. And they'll probably still funnel them weapons. See, I don't know what you guys think, but in my opinion, to actually halt support for this, you would need to cut off the weapons going to Saudi Arabia. Is he planning on doing that? Honestly, I doubt it. We don't know yet, but I doubt it. I hope so. And if that is the case, full credit to Joe Biden, full credit. But, again, the devil's in the details, and so far, we don't have the details. So, best case scenario, we're no longer helping them with their bombing campaign. We're no longer giving them weapons. Um, And also, we would sanction them and try to, like, force them to stop committing a genocide. So, that would be a best case scenario. What is not a good scenario, and what is probably more likely, to be honest, is this just means we're not going to be hands-on in helping them, but we're still going to give them weapons. And, of course, we're not going to punish them or crack down on them or sanction them or try through diplomatic means to get them to stop doing what they're doing. So, again, I'll say I'm cautiously optimistic, because at the very least, he's going to inch us in the right direction, But when it comes to matters of of life and death and genocide and non-genocide, I don't just want to inch us in the right direction. I think the proper policy, of course, would be to stop helping them with their bombing campaign, cut off all the weapons immediately. And I would do that to every human rights violator across the world. You know, I would stop funding any dictatorial regime, stop, you know, giving weapons to Israel. Like, that's what you really should do if you actually cared about human rights and democracy, like we say we do. Um, So what should happen is stop helping them with their bombing campaign, cut off the weapons, and then try to uh, exert pressure on them to actually stop what they're doing, because anybody who's followed what's happened in Yemen closely knows it's as bad as it gets, man. And this is a humanitarian disaster that's not talked about in Western circles nearly as much, because our allies are carrying it out. So since it's an ally carrying it out, and we've even helped with that, where civilians would be killed and there would be, the weapons were clearly made in the USA and it says it on them, on the exploded bombs. Um, this, is, this is the direction that we have to go in if we want to be serious about this. Western media is not covering this in the same way that they cover, for example, Syria. Syria is a disaster, of course, but that's covered more as hair on fire And we need to act immediately. Why? Because the Syrian government is our enemy and not our ally. Uh, The Saudi Arabians are our allies, so when they effectively are doing genocide in Yemen, you don't get the same hair-on-fire coverage and, you know, breathless, we we must do something feel and vibe from the media and from power centers. So I hope that he's going to go all the way here. I don't no, if he is, I don't think he is. I'd welcome any step in the right direction, but really, it should, we shouldn't even have to question this. You know what I mean? Like, there shouldn't even be, hey, maybe this is just as weasley as the private prison things or the Buy America thing. Like, we shouldn't be in this position. It should be a given. It should be a guarantee. But having said all that, if he indeed stops arming them, stops helping them, um... Then, yay Biden. Go Biden. I want to give him credit. I'm fucking rooting for him, you know? I'm rooting for him. You think I, I want him to stay in Afghanistan, which we learned he's probably going to do? No. I want to come out here and give him credit and say he's getting us out of there. You know, you think I wanted to go after him over the Iran deal? No. I, I hope that he would follow through with his campaign promise and jump right back in that deal on day one. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. He's saying to them, you get back in, you stop enriching uranium, and then we'll get back but we pulled out of the deal. Why would they do that? We've proven that our deals aren't worth the paper they're written on, and now you're going to make demands? So I I want him to do the right thing. I want him to do the right thing, but we just don't know. And when we get more details, obviously we'll talk about it. I'm rooting for him. I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm also realistic about it, and I think the jury's out. So... Genocide in Yemen, at the very least, the United States will not be actively facilitating it, which is damning with faint praise and cold comfort.
3: Okay. All right.
4: Let's, um
2: I kind of want to cover the Lou Dobbs thing. All right, let's cover the Lou Dobbs thing. Let's jump right into that. So Lou Dobbs was fired. He was fired by Fox for pushing conspiracies around the election and um the backstory is is interesting we've seen this already with newsmax and one america news network you know i think it was dominion that voting machine company was like we're suing you over a billion dollars because this is libel slander defamation we're believers in free speech but this even violates our very lax free speech laws and so they all backpedaled all of the networks that got that phone call backpedaled. Why? Because they don't have a leg to stand on. They really are making demonstrably false claims. Um, And it's, it's, it's clear. I mean, some of the conspiracies are just beyond absurd. There was like, the main one is that there's some sort of international communist plot and Dominion rigged the voting machines and they're doing the bidding of the Venezuelan government. And, They've worked with the Venezuelan government in the past, so really this is all an international communist plot and and they went for Biden. I mean, just I'm grow the fuck up, man. This is we're in Cookiesville. There's no evidence for any of this, of course. And so that's why the lawsuits are coming, because even with our incredibly lax, rightly so, free speech laws, defamation is defamation, dog. And so that's why when they got in talks with these networks, One American News Network is the one... Is it Newsmax One American News Network? I don't remember. One of them pretty much immediately was like, okay, okay, we'll read on air the apology. It's like when Alex Jones had to do the apology for Sandy Hook because his people were harassing some of the parents of the kids that died. And so he didn't... He was going to get sued into non-existence. And he went out there and he had to read a statement. So similar to that, right? But one of the big boys on Fox was pushing the election conspiracies and not backing down. I mean... Lou Dobbs, one of the biggest Trump-sick-fans on the planet. Remember that segment where he's like, have a good weekend. Our wonderful president makes that possible. The guy's really out of his mind. So anyway, Lou Dobbs was fired by Fox. Fox doesn't want the liability of, you know, what's going to come with this guy. They don't know what the hell's coming out of his mouth on a daily basis now. There was a new lawsuit from a new election company. It wasn't even Dominion. It was one of the other ones. Smartmatic or something. And they're suing for over $2 billion. So Fox is like, you're telling me it's like, tank the company or get rid of Lou Dobbs? Buy Lou. So anyway, um, now CNN is going to get in on the fun here. Because, of course, they hate Fox and, you know, it's just giant, like, cultural differences, too, between the different networks. And so Brian Stelter is going to dance on the grave of Lou Dobbs. And um, he gives commentary again here. This is like the second week in a row where one of, his main, one of the main focuses of the show is like, I love it when people I disagree with get fired. I love censorship without calling it censorship. Now, again, I got zero sympathy for Lou Dobbs and, and these right-wing charlatans are liars and frauds. And be clear on that. Um, but the criticism coming from CNN rubs me the wrong way. So let's watch and then we'll talk
3: about it. Let's
4: begin by going behind the scenes of Fox's surprise ouster of loot ops. It's not cancel culture here. It is consequence culture. What are the consequences for riling up people with reckless lies about a democracy that most Americans cherish. Well, lately there have not been many consequences. But maybe that's changing. Maybe. The pro-Trump love-in, the lie-fest known as Lou Dobbs Tonight, was canceled on Friday, one day after Dobbs was singled out in a $2.7 billion lawsuit from the voting tech company Smartmatic. The company alleges that Fox and Dobbs and Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani all waged a disinformation campaign against the company in a desperate bid to keep Trump in power. There are other lawsuits coming too, Uh, and we're going to get to those in a little bit uh, with a spokesman for another company that was smeared by the likes of Dobbs. But here's the thing: yeah, Dobbs is off the air, but Janine Pirro was named in the Smartmatic lawsuit too, so was Maria Bartiromo, and as you can see, they were both on the air, back on the air this weekend. Fox is vowing to fight the Smartmatic lawsuit, and I'm told that the plan to cut Dobbs loose was in the works before Smartmatic filed in court. So then why was Dobbs dismissed? Why isn't Fox explaining it? What does this tell us about Fox's direction in the post-Trump age? What pressure is Fox feeling from networks like Newsmax? And how significant could all these lawsuits potentially be?
2: So the line that I think is egregious is, it's not cancel culture, it's consequence culture. Now, listen, in this particular case, fair enough, because these people just are not doing their job. They're hired to do a job, job being news and commentary, yes, from a conservative perspective, granted, But if you're actually committing defamation, libel, slander on a regular basis, and your your company you work for is about to be put out of business as a result of how reckless you are, then, yeah, like there are consequences to your actions. So I'm not – I actually don't disagree in terms of this particular case. However, however, these guys – Never, ever, ever apply the same standards to their own networks, ever. So, now, am I saying it's a full equivalence? No. Fox is not the same as CNN. Newsmax and One American News Network are not the same as Fox. There are degrees and there are gradations as to how bad the various outlets are. But what I will say is this: If you're going to be principled and if you're going to have a standard, all of the networks fail miserably they're all beyond the pale some can be more beyond the pale than others but they're all beyond the pale so here's here's the problem with what brian stelter is saying were there any consequences at all for russiagate and how msnbc and cnn for a year probably more than a year were provably verifiably demonstrably wrong on virtually every point and every claim they were making there were a thousand times of big breaking news and it just turned out to be total lies and it was fraudulent like the like Paul Manafort meeting with Julian Assange there was there's a thousand stories that turned out to be completely untrue to be misinformation or disinformation some people are dupes i'm sure other people are nefarious liars the intelligence agencies leaking certain stories i'm sure that they're lying when they do it some of the people who work at the networks maybe they think it's real but they were wrong Are there any consequences? Lou Dobbs might think that what he's saying about the election is real, but he's wrong. So if there are consequences for Lou Dobbs, why should there not be consequences for Rachel Maddow, who covered Russia more than any other topic? Why shouldn't there be consequences for Jonathan Chait or others who said that, well, maybe Trump has been a Russian asset since the 1980s? One of the predominant theories was that Trump is a Manchurian candidate and he's going to be dragged out of the Oval Office in handcuffs. And that he was going to be brought down by Mueller. That didn't happen. The people who went down around Trump, they went down for non-Russia related reasons. Now, good that they went down. I don't like them. They're corrupt. They're goons. But mainstream media was wrong every step of the way. There have been no consequences for that. And I haven't heard a Brian Stelter rant that we need consequence. It's not cancel culture. It's consequence culture if Rachel Maddow got fired, for example. Because she doesn't do her job right. She doesn't do her job well. She's wrong. Lou Dobbs doesn't do his job right, doesn't do his job well. He's wrong. It's okay for, on the Lou Dobbs front, you get it. Yeah, he's got to go. What are you going to do? it has got to be consequences. But you said nothing about Rachel Maddow. You said nothing about, for example, the Jake Tapper segment where he went out there and lied about Medicare for All and said it doesn't save money and totally misconstrued the numbers. Because even conservative estimates say, oh, it'll save two trillion dollars. There was a study from the University of Massachusetts, Amherst, which said over a decade it saves five trillion dollars. He went out there and said, No, it doesn't save money. He did a segment on it. I remember it went on YouTube at like a ninety percent dislike rate. You wanna know why? Because he's full of shit and it's dead wrong. Were there consequences for that? For lying about something that makes up a giant chunk? of the economy, for a policy that if implemented would say 45,000 to 60,000 lives every single year? Were there consequences for that? This is a life and death topic and he's actively doing propaganda on the wrong side of it which will lead to more people dying if we keep our system the way it is now. Not cancel culture, it's consequence culture. Sorry, you were demonstrably wrong about one of the most important issues, literally the most important issue to the American people. It's the number one issue in most polls, healthcare. Jake Tapper was dead wrong about that. Now, you could either say he's terrible at his job and he's insanely sloppy and he thinks he's right but he's dead wrong, or he's a nefarious liar. Either way, do I say it's not not cancel culture, it's consequence culture if they fire him. He didn't say that about Jake Tapper. Weird. He didn't say anything about the fact that now some of the biggest Iraq war proponents are lionized and treated as heroes on all these networks you have Bill Crystal on David Frum these are the anti-Trump republicans who they think are part of the resistance and are great people you haven't said a goddamn word about Bill Crystal maybe it's not cancel culture it's consequence culture not only should he not be a commentator for these networks he should be in the fucking Hague he should be locked up he committed crimes he's a war criminal see the the consequence culture only cuts in one direction and it's in the direction of the conservative networks i got no love for the conservative networks they're horrendous in every imaginable way but if you're going to make these arguments, you for fuck sure better have a standard and apply it fairly. And he's not. Because then he'd say Jake Tapper has to go for his Medicare for All stuff. Every Iraq war supporter has to go. The ones who crafted the Iraq war especially, not only do they have to get fired, their commentary is useless, they're dead wrong about everything, but they should be in prison. What about all the people who were wrong when it comes to Syria? They were dead wrong when it came to Syria. You had Brian Williams talking about the beauty of our weapons various outlets cheering it on. What about that? Listen, you guys say, "Oh my god, social media, they need to crack down on the misinformation and the harassment and the abuse." You know what's the clearest case of abuse I could ever think of? Cheerleading a bombing campaign based on lies, which is what you guys did on all the major networks, every single one of them. But for some that doesn't count, to Brian, it doesn't count to Brian Stelter, cuz we're the good guys. I've defined us as the good guys, so therefore anything we do is justified. Because I've already said we're the good guys up front. So if I lie about Medicare for all, if I cheerlead a bombing campaign based on lies, if I act like war criminals are important political commentators, there's no, there should be no consequences to that. Weird. So for Lou Dobbs, consequences. For me and my friends, no consequences. These, they didn't even cover the 2016 leaks about the WikiLeaks about the Democratic primary and how it was basically rigged against Bernie. Why? Because they didn't like Bernie and they supported Hillary. So they're also, they're lying by commission and they're lying by omission. Why are there no consequences for that? Shouldn't there be consequences for that? You're not doing your job. This is an amazing story. It's a huge story and you buried it. The bottom line is we should as much as possible lean on the side of free speech. Okay? And and I mean that. So all the networks, even with people who are saying things that I despise and I think are grotesque, it is what it is, man. This is the, the price of freedom. There's going to be people you love and people you hate who are talking, and they have the right to talk, the ability to talk, and they have a platform. So I lean heavily in that direction. But if you want to have the conversation about who should be fired and who should keep their job, and you want to have that conversation in the realm of, listen, it's just about can you do your job right. There's got to be consequences. I'm willing to have that conversation. But Brian Stelter is not going to like where that conversation goes, because the reality is all these motherfuckers are terrible at their job, every last one of them. And if you actually had some principles and some standards and you applied them objectively, basically 80 percent of the people who work at all these networks are gone. Gone for different reasons and gone for, you know, there are varying degrees of egregiousness and varying degrees of like who's a liar and who's a dupe. 80 percent of them would be gone. And Brian Stelter would be among the god ones. So, maybe stop cheerleading, censorship, and deplatforming, and firing, and whatnot. Because, for the love of God, have some introspection. I mean, it, the, you're so, he's so blind to his own failures, and his own network, and his buddies. It's honestly pathetic. The Dumbest thing I've ever seen. It's every week now, I'm going out there, talking about how it's wonderful when people he disagrees with, uh, you know, get kicked to the curb. Okay, Brian, but careful, careful, because you don't make the cut. (laughs) With any, any fair standards, you would not make the cut, and that's a fact. Okay. All right, let's talk about student loans. Fox News is going to shit all over the idea of eliminating or reducing student loan debt because the Democrats are considering doing that or at least considering eliminating some of it. Let's see how that goes.
5: an idea. Okay. What about community college?
6: What if you make community college free, a two-year community college? Is that a reasonable option? Yeah, how do you pay? I guess you wouldn't have to pay those teachers, right? Because they would work for free and the, and the people that maintain the college, they would work for free. Everybody works for free in the world of the left. This is the question that no one asks. How do you do this? Will you forgive debt? How do you do this? The, the Dems never asked that question. Does the debt hop on the back of a unicorn and fly away? No. Somebody, somebody has to foot the bill. Now, is it going to be the banks? I don't think they're going to foot the bill. Is it going to be the colleges? I'd love to see that. You know who's going to foot the bill? You are. And you're going to be ticked off because you paid your loan already and you secretly know that the person that's getting their debt forgiven is just as well off as you are because you know a lot of them are going to be white middle-class liberals who have wealthy parents who could easily pay it off if why not if you not if you want to pay off somebody's debt here is my suggestion if the average college loan payment is 393 bucks The average monthly payment for a used car is $381. Why not cancel the debt of all the used cars? Because that used car will get, will, the owner will use that far more than many of these people are using their college degrees. A pickup truck in Idaho is way more valuable than a fine arts degree in Brooklyn. And it's way more democratic to forgive auto loans for people using their cars than for the idiots that shows degrees that do nothing for them. People should not be paying for other people's mistakes. So,
5: Tessie, picking up on that idea from Greg, would you say it's okay then to forgive loans for low-income students? Maybe.
1: Juan, <laughs> I'm paying for your mistakes every single day. <laughs> so, I mean, forgive that loan, my goodness. I mean, Greg's right, and Dagan's right, and so is Martha. The Democrats created this problem and then are swooping in with my money to solve it, and then they want an attaboy, and then they want to get reelected for it. They're the ones with the banks and the loan sharks that created the bubble. They raised tuition, they raised fees, and they got to indoctrinate more students in their liberal universities. Then all of a sudden it blew up because people have – thousands and thousands of dollars of debt. They can't buy a house. They're living with their parents, and they have a sociology degree that can't get them in the door anyway. So why should I have to pay for my neighbor's dumb daughter who went to, I don't know, grad school for anthropology who just backed her car into my car and didn't leave a note? Uh Uh-uh. I'm not paying for that. I mean, we're probably going to bail them out. We bail out other countries, Detroit, Wall Street. Why not bail out these people? The only thing, Juan, that's going to stop this It's a collision course between the socialists and the Wall Street Democrats. Who has the power in Joe Biden's White House? Is it Yellen and the Wall Street Democrats, or is it the crazy socialists like Bernie, AOC, and Chuck Schumer? We're going to find out.
2: And which side are you on, Jesse? By your own framing, what side are you on? He's on the side of the wealthy Wall Street Democrats. He's on the side of the corporate Democrats. I love, I love it when they accidentally admit what they really think. See, in, in his mind, and in the mind of all the conservative commentators, yeah, I'm on I agree with corporate Democrats who don't want to do dick to help people. Great. <laughs> Thank you for the honesty. We know you don't want to do dick to help people in need. I got it. But the funny thing is they'll then turn around and pretend like us conservatives and the Republican Party, now we're the party of the working class. You just admitted you agree more with the corporate Democrats than what he calls the crazy socialists, which in reality are the mild, moderate social Democrats. All right, so let's run through some of these arguments here. I like when Greg Gutfeld, it's like they, they're they not even trying. They don't even try. It's embarrassing. Greg Gutfeld's first response is like, Oh, so I guess, like, teachers are going to work for free then, huh? And, like, everybody's going to work for free then, huh? No, if we do free college, it will be funded by tax dollars. It'll be funded in a similar way to how, you know, high school is fun public high school is funded now. To how elementary school and middle school is funded now. I mean, hello, that... And nobody, Think about this, guys. Nobody complains about that, right? There's not a single person in today's America who's like, Bah, we got to get rid of this free public high school thing. This is crazy. Why am I paying for other people's kids? Nobody says that. You want to know why? Because they'd be laughed out of the fucking room because everybody supports the public school system. Of course, of course, we view it as basically a right. Like in a civilized society, one of the things you do is you educate your young. And so nobody goes further back. We're talking about the exact same principle here. Just apply it to college now, not just high school, not just middle school, not just elementary school. Um, And then he goes, like, how are you going to pay for a thing? Again, you need to take note of when they say this and when they don't say this. They never say this when it comes to endless Wall Street bailouts or record amounts of money to the military industrial complex every single year. They never say it for any of that stuff. They only trot it out when the conversation is about helping regular people. Then it's, oh, my God, can we afford it? How are we going to pay for it? Um, then notice, again, these are the people who say they hate identity politics. They played identity politics. They went right to, oh, oh yeah, see, this is a bad idea. You want to know why? Because it's going to help white people. It's going to help, they, I think, they said had wealthy white liberals. Actually, not true in terms of the numbers and who it overwhelmingly helps. It's not true that it only helps the wealthy or whatever. It only helps the upper middle class. That's simply false. But even if it were true, why do you think that that's an argument against it? Oh my God, it's only gonna help white people. Why are you playing identity politics? I don't care if it helps white people. As a matter of principle, I think it makes sense to eliminate student loan decks. I don't think it should exist in the first place in the same way I'd eliminate medical debt no matter who it helps because it shouldn't exist in the first place. And it should be publicly funded just like it is for high school or in a similar, similar funding mechanisms to high school. I get that there are differences in terms of local state and and national, but similar funding mechanisms is my point paid for by tax dollars. But I I, I can't believe that at this late date, they still think like, how are we going to pay for it? Like that's a point, like that's an argument. And by the way, everybody who says I want free college, there's not a single one that doesn't understand it's paid for by tax dollars. Everybody gets that. They think like when we say, Oh, free college that we think, it, you know, the money comes out of nowhere. No, of course that, of course that's not what we think. We think it's funded by tax dollars, and we think that's inintelligent to fund with tax dollars. And I would reduce the spending on endless Wall Street bailouts and on endless wars and things of that nature. Um, and I will say this: there's one point where Greg Gutfeld says, "Well, it would make more sense if we forgive, for example." Uh, auto loan debt, used car loan debt, because that helps working class people a hell of a lot more. I'm down to eliminate that. Again, I think if we spend our money on shit like that, that helps working people, I'm for it. I'm for it, of course. He thinks it's like a a gotcha, and like the people he brings this up to will be like, I don't want to do that. No. Listen, if we pulled it, I think you get a pretty high percentage of people who are like, okay for sure. That'll help working class people. Agreed. So let's do it. And the second you say yes, by the way, he would flip and say no, for sure. And you know that because there's another part where um, Juan Williams, and this is a great follow-up question too, listening to these idiots babble. Juan Williams says, okay, so I hear some of your guys' concerns. You're afraid, oh, it's only going to help wealthy um, white liberals or whatever. What about, so what if we only forgive student loans for low-income students? And they didn't say they were for that. Jesse Waters totally dodged that. You want to know why? Because of course he's not for it. The whole thing of like, I just, I want to help the little guy, and I don't think this helps the little guy. That's just their bullshit rationalization. Because when they're asked directly, do you want to do it only in a way that helps the little guy? They're like, no, I don't want to do that. So then, obviously that wasn't your real objection. Your real objection is that you don't believe in government. You don't think that we should have basics off the table in a civilized society. You want to throw everybody their bootstraps if they're working class people. And actually, I'm wrong. They do believe in government in some instances, in the instances of endless war, torture in Guantanamo Bay, the Patriot Act spying on everybody, bailing out Wall Street. So they believe in big government in some ways, but they they believe in rugged individualism and laissez-faire capitalism for the little guy. It's what it is. They don't even want to forgive student loans for low-income students. Every argument you hear against free college and eliminating student loan debt is bullshit. And and again, because ultimately it's all noise anyway, if, if you believe this as a matter of principle. See, I believe in a civilized society that you should take education off the table and you should take healthcare off the table, among other things. But these are real basics. So if you truly believe that, it doesn't matter... If you eliminate student loan debt, even if it did only help wealthy people, I don't care. I don't care. Because that's something that shouldn't exist. Medical debt shouldn't exist. So if you tell me there's some people who make over a million dollars a year who are going to have their medical debt erased, okay, (laughs) okay, do you understand what an argument from principle is? And again, they're not even right on the details and the specifics of that. I don't want to give the misimpression that like, oh, yeah, this is only helping wealthy people. It's not. It's not. That's a bullshit point. But even if it did, as a matter of principle, medical debt shouldn't exist. Student loan debt shouldn't exist. Healthcare should be free, paid for via tax dollars. College should be free, paid for via tax dollars. You can disagree with that, but don't make an ass of yourself doing it, and that's exactly what they did. Okay. Let's go to Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney is leaning into this GOP civil war. She went on Fox News uh, to discuss it. Let's see what she had to say.
7: Just a week before last, your House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, met with Mr. Trump at Mar-a-Lago and said the former president will campaign for Republicans in the 2022 elections. So the question is, is this still the party of Donald Trump, and does Marjorie Taylor Greene still hold a solid place in that
8: party? Chris, we're the party of Abraham Lincoln. We're the party of Ronald Reagan. Uh, We have to really take a hard look at who we are and what we stand for, what we believe in. Uh, I think when you look at both uh, his actions leading up to what happened on January 6th, uh, the fact that he uh, was impeached in a bipartisan fashion, uh, the fact that, that uh, he lost the presidency, the fact that we lost the Senate. Uh, we have to be in a position where we can say, we stand for principles, we stand for ideals. Uh, somebody who uh, has provoked an attack on the United States Capitol to prevent the counting of electoral votes, uh, which resulted in five people dying who refused to stand up immediately when he was asked and stop the violence, uh, that, that is a person who does not have a role as the leader of our party going forward. We have to make sure that we uh, are able to convey to the American voters we are the party of responsibility, we are the party of truth, uh, that we actually can be trusted to handle the challenges this nation faces like COVID, uh, and, and that's going to require us to focus on substance and policy and issues going forward, but, but we should not be embracing the former president. This
2: is truly fascinating to me because um... – By the way, this did not get a positive reaction at all in conservative circles. You know, you go look at this video on Fox News, and if I remember correctly, over 50% dislikes. So in other words, the people who are still Fox News fans and watching Fox News, they're more pro-Trump than they are pro-establishment GOP. And so it's no longer a thing like, oh, the Republican Civil War happening in the future. No, it is happening right now. It's happening right now. And you have... The more establishment types, the George W. Bush types, they are ready to get past Trump. They think he's dragging the party down. Um, The Romney types as well. But, 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 the people, the base of the party, they're not going with the Liz Cheneys. They're going with Trump. For sure. Even though she accurately points out, hey, we lost the presidency. We lost the Senate. So you got to take responsibility for that. You're a loser. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And he will cling to relevance as much as possible. You know, there's still a very good chance he runs in 2024. We'll see, but if it's not him, we'll get to a story later. The poll show, it is somebody from that Trump wing who is polling the best. So, let's go through some of what she says here. She says, "We're the party of Lincoln and Reagan." See, but that's the thing, right? Like, the only difference between Donald Trump and the establishment Republicans, it's the culture stuff. It's the culture war stuff. You know what I mean? Like, he is for all the same policies that they're for, except he has no filter, um, and he's a culture warrior. And he's an asshole. That's the only difference. You know, in terms of policy, they're the same. So when Liz Cheney says we're the party of Reagan, correct, you're the party of Reagan. And Donald Trump is the party of Reagan. Donald Trump did stuff that Reagan does. Again, the only difference is he doesn't have the bullshit civility and decorum that they like. He doesn't have, like, the fake I'm a serious person thing going on, you know? And it's like, okay, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney had the I'm a serious person fake thing going on, but they're also torturers and war criminals. Your dad, Liz, is a war criminal, which gets to the next point, which is she says we are the party of responsibility. We are the party of truth. That is so supremely ironic when her dad was part of the campaign to lie us into an illegal and offensive war. They also lied about torture. They lied about everything under the sun. Party of Responsibility and the Party of Truth, is it responsible to wage an illegal and offensive war that leads to the deaths of at least hundreds of thousands? Is that responsible? Destroying the Middle East, was that responsible? Extrajudicial torture, is that responsible? We're the Party of Responsibility and the Party of Truth. The thing is, they're so smug and insufferable. And you know who else sees that? It's not just the entire left. It's the Trump wing of the party. The voters do think Liz Cheney and Dick Cheney and George W. Bush are smug and insufferable. They look at them and they say, there's a big club and you're in it. I'm not in it. And they don't even think Trump's in it, even though Trump's in it in terms of how he acts policy-wise. Um, so, I, you know, it's just I find it so ironic that you have Liz Cheney saying we stand for principles and ideals and we care about substance and policy and issues. And it's like, that is why ultimately you're making no sense now. Because if, you, if it really was only about substance and policy and issues, then you and Trump are almost identical, almost identical, very minor differences here and there. But you're over 90% in agreement on substance and policy and issues. The only area where she's correct is this idea that There is a line that was crossed by Trump, which makes it so that the elites want to get past him as soon as possible. And that line that was passed by Trump was the questioning of the election, but more importantly, the cheerleading and prodding on of like an attempted insurrection, the Diet Coup, where a lot of the people who were in Congress and in the Senate felt like their lives were in danger even Republicans, or some Republicans who felt like their lives were in danger. See, at that point, Trumpism was no longer an abstraction to them. It was a reality. And they realized this guy's basically a cult leader and he's got the unhinged followers. And so that, that moment led to a light bulb moment for a lot of them, including Liz Cheney, where she turned on him. But there is going to be a Republican civil war. It's happening right now because Trump is gone, but Trump still gets the support of many elected officials and virtually the entire base um, but Liz Cheney they also had a vote as to whether or not to remove her from her leadership position for st- for how she stood up to Trump and she maintained her leadership position so most of the elected republicans sided with Liz Cheney keeping her position so I'm telling you man republican civil war i don't know if it's 50-50 i don't know if it's 60-40 70-30 but There is a Republican civil war, and as I always say, yummy in my tummy, I'm going to watch this with a smile on my face. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, mainstream media, in this case CBS, proved how not up to the task of serious work they are with their question to Biden about Iran. So stay right there. We got that and much, much more, y'all. We'll be right back. I'm back. I am back in this motherfucker. Ugh. Getting old, y'all. I'm getting old. All right, so... Where was I? What was the last story I did for you? Okay, I think we're on to the story about Iran, which uh, is something. Yeah, we already did... Blue Dobbs before, okay. Mainstream media, in this case, CBS, is gonna prove how not up to the task of serious work they are with this one question that they asked Joe Biden about Iran.
8: Will the US lift sanctions first? in order to get Iran back to the negotiating table. No. They have to stop enriching uranium first. It appears there is a standoff. Overnight, Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, said Iran will not scale back its atomic work until the U.S. removes all sanctions.
2: That was pathetic. So we're talking about major network here with journalists. And that question was incredibly misleading. Will the U.S. lift sanctions first in order to get Iran back to the negotiating table? They don't tell you that the United States broke the deal. We violated the deal. In fact, we sanctioned them when we were still nominally in the deal, which is a violation of the deal, And then we officially pulled out of the deal. And so when we pulled out of the deal, their response was, okay, I guess we're going to go back to enriching uranium. And so they did that. And now we're saying, all right, look, I know that we violated the deal, and I know that we pulled out of the deal, but you need to start abiding by it first now before we start abiding by it. Why would they do that? We quite literally proved to them in no uncertain terms that a deal with us is not worth the paper it's written on. We proved that. We couldn't make it more clear. We basically screamed it through a megaphone. Do not trust us under any circumstance. So we did that. And now we expect them to get back in the deal that we violated for us to then maybe get back in the deal. I mean, honestly, it's pathetic and it's a sick joke and a media that wasn't insane would explain everything that I just explained to you. But the media, it has a giant pro-establishment bias. And so that's, that question was framed from the perspective of being hawkish is correct. Being hawkish is right. Being tough is right. That's how that question was framed. But they don't even, like, it's just stupid. Like, it is just Stupid for us to violate the deal, us to pull out of the deal. And then now we're going to insist that they get back in the deal that we pulled out of when we already proved that we don't abide by our deals. What you need to do in a world that made sense is Biden on day one should have got back in the deal. He should have issued a formal apology. Should have said, listen, we we made a deal in good faith and we have this one administration where this guy's insane and he did the wrong thing. But I want you to know that the United States of America stands by our word. And we gave our word in that deal. And Iran was abiding by that deal perfectly. You proved that you were going to do right by the deal. And so now we are going to do right by the deal. And we apologize for the previous administration. Why would you, why would you act like the previous administration was correct? They were right to pull out of the deal. And now you're right to, to not go back in the deal. Why would you do that? Because the default Washington consensus is neoconservatism and hawkishness. In the same way that there was a story the other day that said Biden wants to stay in Afghanistan now. I mean, it's pathetic. It really is pathetic. Um, This was the easiest foreign policy layup of all time. Biden had to get back in the deal on day one, and he would have been a hero. He would have moved us closer to peace. We'd be in a much better place. Instead, uh, we're in as bad a place as we've ever been, because he's doing the same thing Trump did. And the media is so pathetic, they don't give you basic context. They don't tell you the way events unfolded, that we violated the deal when we were in it, and then we pulled out of the deal. I mean, it's really something else. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of um, when Trump was trying to negotiate with uh, Kim Jong-un and Bolton went to the press and said, we're going to do the Libya model with them. For those of you who don't know, the Libya model is they give up their weapons, Gaddafi gives up his weapons, and then we topple him anyway. And so he was saying, yeah, we're going to do that with North Korea. So in other words, get North Korea to give up whatever weapons they have, and then we topple them anyway. We are the international bully. We are the world's sole superpower. We are the imperialist nation. We are not moral arbiters who are simply the world's policemen or whatever the fuck. Pathetic, man. This is so pathetic. He should have gone back in that deal on day one, no questions asked, issued an apology, and we'd be in a much better place now. But he didn't do it. He went full neocon hawk bullshit and violated one of his key promises on the campaign trail, and he deserves nothing but scorn for it. So, Morning Joe is back to being the regular, schmegular Morning Joe, which means he's wrong about everything. Um, He went, he had like a week or two where he was flirting with social democracy, but now he's back to being a prick. Uh, So, he's going to do a segment here about why the COVID survival checks need to be more means tested.
3: you know, 500000 and above, $400,000 and above, they're going to get that check and they're going to put it in their bank account. That's not going to stimulate the economy. If somebody's struggling, if, if their family is making $110,000 or less or, I don't know, 150000 or less, they, they, they probably need that check and they will put that back out into the economy. That will help small business owners in my town, in your town, in every town in the USA, right?
9: Yes, Joe, so that's essentially right, although even at the lower income levels, as I showed you, a lot of money gets saved. But certainly as a matter of equity, as in a matter of practicality in terms of getting the money into the economy, you wanted to give it to people closer to the bottom. Now, you're hearing increasing talk about whether $1.9 trillion, which is the size of President Biden's proposal as a whole, is too much. Because of that dry powder that I showed you, the $1.6 trillion on the sidelines, I would commend you an excellent op-ed that Larry. Summers has in the Washington Post today, laying out some of the questions around whether we really need 1.9 trillion. And so I think when you put it all together, uh, we would all be well served by having some uh, adjustment, shall we say, to the Biden proposal, probably the overall size of it, as well as the point you've been making, the excellent point you've been making, that it needs to be more targeted to the people who actually are going to spend the money and the people who actually need the money.
3: Steve Ratner, thank you so much. Uh, absolutely love the charts. Important message for our policy leaders in Washington to hear this morning. Uh, we greatly appreciate you being on with us this morning. we got a lot of, lot to talk about this yeah. morning. Uh, and, and, and just following hearing from Joe Manchin, you're hearing from other Democrats as well. They want to target these checks to the, to the people need money. who need them the most. And, by the way, that's the right thing to do. And it's also the best thing to do for our small business owners, for our small restaurant owners, for, for, for people on Main Street.
2: So this is infuriating and stupid for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, the checks are already means tested. So originally it was 2000 Now it's 1400 And it's for $75,000 a year or less. If you make $75,000 a year or less, you would get the check. Now they're saying, meh, Biden's sticking by the 1,400 number, even though he backed off the 2,000 number, uh, but maybe do 50,000. Some people are saying 60,000, some people people are saying 50,000. So means test the thing that was already means tested and make it apply to a smaller group of people. This is what they're saying. Um, There are political ramifications to this as well. The political ramifications of backing off 2,000 to 1,400 are huge, and then the further political ramifications of giving it to fewer people. The idea that there's nobody in that $50,000 to $75,000 bracket that need this and and might not get it now, I mean, how insane do you have to be? How dumb do you have to be to not realize you're leaving people out if you do that? You're leaving people out if you do $75,000 and below. Now, the other problem with this is it's based on 2019 data, which is no longer accurate. Why would you base it on 2019 data? It's outdated anyway. Oh, it's the best data we have. Okay, so if only there was some other way to do this where you can get the support to people who need it. Guys, what you have to understand is it's better to give this money to some people who don't need it than to leave it out for anybody who does. You want me to repeat that? It's better to give it to some people who don't need it than to leave out anybody who does need it. And so, so how would you do this? Well, first of all, it should be $2,000 and it shouldn't be means tested. But second of all, if you do it in a universal way, dipshits, you can still tax it back later for the highest earners. Now we can have a conversation. What, you know, ultimately, what will it be? Will it be the top 1%? We're going to tax the checks back from them. The top 5%, the top 10%. We can have that conversation, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it right now, right now, Cut universal checks to everybody for two thousand dollars, but no, they're shooting themselves in the dick because they went from two thousand to fourteen hundred and make the Weasley argument of like you already got six hundred, so we need a total of two thousand. And now they're means testing the means test. Take it from seventy-five thousand dollars to fifty thousand dollars. This is a political loser. It's a political loser. Send it to everybody, and yes, you can tax it back from the highest earners later don't means test it up front based on 2019 data and leave people out who fucking need it and by the way there are people who make over 100 grand who need it this is not this pandemic is pretty indiscriminate in the people it hurts means testing it is is a way to leave so many people out who desperately need the money but they're pretending like that's not the case my biggest issue with this is they're cloaking anti-populist arguments in populist rhetoric and language That's why this frustrates me. They're acting like, we're the ones who are really for helping the working class. The people who want to give universal checks, no, they're not for helping the working class. They want to help the rich. By the way, it's always going to be easier to get rid of means-tested programs anyway. This isn't just a program, so it's a little bit of a different conversation, but whenever programs are means-tested, it's easy to smear them as welfare because it doesn't apply to everybody. It's much harder much harder to get rid of programs that uh, are universal in nature because everybody benefits. And so there's a politically potent argument for universal programs and against means-tested programs. And in terms of means-testing, this is the dumbest way you could possibly do it. Backing down when they already back down. $2,000 to $1,400 for $75,000 and below. Now they're saying $1,400 for maybe $50,000 and below or $60,000 and below. It's pathetic. This isn't like the adults in the room taking charge or, you know, they're cloaking it in pro working class rhetoric. It is complete and utter bullshit. The way you should do it is universal $2,000 checks. Really, you should do it monthly, but universal $2,000 checks. And we can cross that bridge when we come to it, if we want to tax it back for the top 1%, say, or the top 5% or whatever it might be. Okay. This clip that you're about to see is really telling because it's a snapshot of how the sausage is really made in D.C. and where the pressure is exerted. So they're gonna talk about Afghanistan and Biden's plan moving forward,
8: Uh, You say that Afghanistan is Biden's first big foreign policy headache. Uh, What do you mean by that, and and what are the choices on the table for President Biden?
7: So, uh, Biden inherited a peace agreement that was signed in February of last year by Trump's envoy, as I'll make clear that, that, calls for all U.S. troops, and the numbers down to just 2,500, to leave Afghanistan May 1st. And uh, a, a study group headed by the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Joseph Dutker, this respected respect to the general, as we've had, has just issued a report this week saying, essentially, that if we pull those troops out, On May 1st, as planned, because the Taliban has gotten so much stronger, the result is going to be civil war. And he's laying the the question as starkly as he can before Biden. If you pull out, this country is basically going to go down the drain. It's going to see a reestablishment of al-Qaeda safe havens. Mr. President, do you really want to do that? Biden is the person in the Obama administration who's most skeptical about putting more troops into Afghanistan in the first place. He was against it. Obama ended up agreeing. Biden didn't. So this will be especially painful for Biden. He's going to have a lot of the military saying, sir, you can't. We're going to have a, a rolling, cascading defeat of an ally if you do it. But that decision is coming up. Scott got to be made, made, made one. And uh, I, I think in the Biden White House already, after the messages yes. I, I got after the column, people are really taking part about it.
2: Notice something here they've set it up to be a non-falsifiable claim that we have to stay there. Because the argument is, hey, if we're there and everything is peaceful or relatively peaceful for the region, well, we have to stay there because we are maintaining that peace. So if we leave, it'll go to shit. But if we're there and there's violence all over the place and it's escalating, we have to stay there because we need to quell the violence and make things peaceful. So do you see the trick? The trick is the game is rigged up front. No matter what, the answer is we have to stay there. Hey, things are peaceful. We have to stay to keep it peaceful. Things are violent. We have to stay to make it peaceful. So no matter what, they want to stay. So there's not not even a question. They're pretending, they're posing it like as if there's a question, but no, the game is rigged up front. This idea of like, hey, we pull out and there's going to be a civil war in Afghanistan. We don't have clean water in Flint, Michigan. We have, what, half a million people who've died in a pandemic and a healthcare system that isn't even universal, which pre-pandemic was killing 45,000 to 60,000 people every single year because they didn't have health care? And you want the priorities of the U.S. government to be prevent Fighting in Kandahar. How about you save lives in Flint, Michigan? How about you save lives in Cleveland, Ohio? Listen, the job of the US government it's you're supposed to represent the people of the United States of America. I'm sorry, they take priority over people anywhere else in the world. So that's the way it works. I, I don't elect you to rule New Zealand or Bangladesh. I don't do that. You're elected to represent this country. Note the moral urgency they talk about this with. Oh, if we leave, there's going to be trouble. I know this sounds harsh, but we shouldn't have even been there in the first place, so we're going to get out, and it's not our problem. If you wanna help, If you want to help prop up some sort of secular government by giving them monetary support, okay, or pay some sort of reparations for destroying certain areas, Okay, but don't give me this bullshit. We have to stay there. We've been there for 20 years. What is your plan, and what are your goals? They say, we have no plan and we have no goals, but we're going to stay there. Why would I let you stay there if you have no plan and you have no goals? Why would I let you stay there? Why should the tax money of the American people pay for this? Why would I let you do that? See, at least early on, they gave us the bullshit reasons as to why they're doing stuff in the case of Iraq they were like oh my god Saddam worked with Osama bin Laden for 9-11 total bullshit but they made that argument oh my god Saddam has weapons of mass destruction and the implication was he's going to use it on us total bullshit and then they finally moved the goalpost he's just a bad guy by the way he's been dead for a long time why are we still in Iraq you said we were there because we had to take him out he's gone so why are we still there Afghanistan, oh my God, Osama bin Laden's hiding there, so we got to get, Osama bin Laden's been dead too. Congratulations. Fly the banner. Let's come home. You said we got to go there for Osama bin Laden. He's gone. Oh, but Kyle, you don't get it. See, now the problem is Al-Qaeda, and there's Al-Qaeda that's being protected there. There's only a couple hundred Al-Qaeda operatives in Afghanistan. That's not according to me. That's according to our own intelligence agencies, and that's numbers going back over five years. So the argument is what? the Taliban protected al-Qaeda. The Taliban is a guerrilla army. They're not going anywhere. So what do you want to do? Why are we there? Why would we stay there? Oh, you don't want to give al-Qaeda or ISIS an area where they have free reign, where they could maybe plan the next attack against America. If you're concerned about al-Qaeda or ISIS, here's an idea. Stop arming them and funding them, which is what the United States does, has done in Syria We have General Petraeus on the record saying we're going to work with al-Qaeda because ISIS is a bigger enemy. So let's arm al-Qaeda. I'm not kidding about this. This is on the record, reported in mainstream outlets. So we've aided jihadists in Syria. We've aided the Saudi Arabian government and gave them weapons. And they're arming jihadist groups on the ground in Yemen to fight the Shia Houthis. You want to prevent the next al-Qaeda or ISIS attack against the West? Stop funding them. The idea that staying in Afghanistan is going to lead to that conclusion—it's a bullshit rationalization, is what it is. So why are we really there? Your guess is as good as mine. I'm sure some of it has to do with the military-industrial complex and the fact that war is incredibly pop— uh, incredibly, um, I was going to say popular, but that is not the right word that I'm looking for. Profitable is the word I'm looking for. Um, so war is incredibly profitable. There's also trillion in Afghanistan. There's opium. In the case of Iraq, there's oil. Oil production shot through the roof after we invaded and now occupy it. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. So we don't need to have this conversation and the details of that. But what I will tell you is this. The conversation I'm willing to have all day long is, should we or should we not be there? And the answer is we shouldn't be there. And I go all the way back to principles in this conversation. We don't have a right as a country to do illegal and offensive wars against countries that don't attack us. We don't have that right. That's a brazen violation of international law and the Geneva Convention and the Nuremberg Tribunal, and we willy-nilly override it, and we don't care. If any other country acted the way we act, we would say there needs to be regime change there. So no more, no more. You can see the pressure exerted on Biden now is from his right, is from a hawkish direction, a neoconservative perspective where they say obviously we need to stay there everything's going to go to shit if we leave do you see how it takes a very very strong minded individual who's dedicated on these issues to fight back against this that obama went in there saying at least in the case of iraq we're going to get out and he was talked into yo-yoing the troop levels trump came in saying we're going to get get out of afghanistan he was yo-yoing the troop levels his entire time in office and then he came up with a bullshit deal to withdraw by May, but you still keep thousands of troops there? That's not a withdrawal. So all the the presidents go in there promising, to one extent or another, pulling out, and then they don't. And then they don't. So do you see what it takes when you're up against the military-industrial complex? You need to be convinced, you need to be sure, and you need to be well-versed in this stuff. It's so easy for some general to come in there, Sir, we've looked into it and we've concluded we absolutely have to stay. We have no goals. We have no plan. All I know is we have to stay and you have to keep funding it. How about no? Unfortunately, Biden looks like he's probably going to keep him there, which is dead wrong in the same way that he's wrong on not getting back in the Iran deal. And I could say with certainty that his foreign policy so far has been the area where he's been the biggest disaster. I hope that changes, but I'm not holding my breath. Okay. This video is truly fascinating. It's uh, a union leader by the name of Richard Trumpka, and he gets tripped up over Biden's record. So let's take a look, and then we'll break it down.
10: as President Joe Biden announced that he was going to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. And the Laborers International Union of North, North America put out a statement saying that it's going to cost a thousand union jobs. Can you explain why the President was right? Well, I, I wish he hadn't done that on the first day, because
11: the Laborers International was right. It did and will cost us jobs in the process. I wish he had paired that more carefully uh, with uh, the the thing that he did second by saying, "Here's where we're creating jobs. We can do mine reclamation. We can fix leaks and we can fix seeps and create hundreds
10: of thousands of jobs in doing all of that stuff." Do you think Biden realizes that that was a mistake? That announcement. I I think so. Yes. Did you? talk to him about it? I have not. Why do you think... And if I had, I wouldn't tell you. So why do you think he has come to that realization? Because the next time the subject came up, it was done the right way. When you said that the Labourers International Union was correct in their statement, I want to read you part of their statement. They said, we support the president's campaign to build back better. Killing good union jobs on day one with nothing to replace them is not building back better. Do you agree with that statement from Terry O'Sullivan? Yes. Okay. I appreciate your straightforwardness. Do you think Biden will shut down and cancel additional pipelines? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I know this. If he does, he'll pair it with job creation. Uh, That will be greater than the number of jobs lost. How comfortable are you with Biden's plan to ban fracking on federal lands?
11: I think it needs to be looked at and studied and carefully thought through. I think the future of the country should be considered in that process. Okay, but he
10: said he's going to do it. So, oh, well, he didn't. He promised to do it. I'm sure
11: if he promised to do it, he probably will, because right. he promised to shut down XL and he did right. XL. I guess one of a man. Team. He's a man of his word, okay, but so he's also promise to create jobs, good union jobs, and be the best union president that we ever have, and I believe he'll do that as well.
2: That was great. I love how awkward all of that was. Um, but it's an interesting conversation because you know, you get to the core of you know a fight and a contradiction within democratic politics, which is you, the Democrats are nominally supposed to be very pro-union, but they're also nominally supposed to be pro-environmentalists. And sometimes there is a clash of the interests of one and the other. You know, you're going to have, there are going to be unions who support building the Keystone XL pipeline, building a number of other pipelines. They're going to be pro-fracking because of the job creation and and the wages and the benefits. And then, of course, environmentalists are going to say, no, we need, we can't do these jobs because we need to get off of fossil fuels and we need to fight back against, climate change and pollution and all the problems that are associated with these effectively dirty jobs, if you will. Um, so overall, I actually kind of agree with Richard Trumpka here in the sense that the way, if I'm Biden, the way that you need to package these things and the way that they need to be sold to the public is exactly like he described, which is for every job that we're effectively eliminating in one industry, there's another job being created in another industry. And, you know, it should be similar pay, similar benefits, good union jobs. So, yes, for every, every time you do some sort of executive order or you kill some pipeline or, you know, do something that's going to cost jobs, even if it's, as they said, in one of these instances was 1,000 jobs, um, there it should be paired with at the exact same time, and here's what we're going to do to replace that. Um, so... That's how you approach these things, because working people, working people need to understand that they're not going to be abandoned, and they shouldn't be abandoned. And unfortunately, if you lead with the ideology, then it's very easy to start making political enemies quickly. If people get the sense that you care more about ideology than improving their lives in that moment, then you're going to lose them. And so, while I do think Biden, by the way, is correct on killing the Keystone XL pipeline, on banning fracking on federal lands, I think it makes sense to ban it, not just on federal lands, ban it nationwide. There are tremendous downsides to it. Increase in earthquakes, water being poisoned, there's so many negatives that are associated with it. It's banned in my state, and I'm happy it's banned in my state. Um, it should be banned nationwide, but again, that needs to be paired with, and here's how we're going to do job creation, and this is where You know, the Green New Deal comes in play, for example. A lot of people like to focus on the green part of the Green New Deal. But, you know, I always like to put emphasis on the New Deal part of the Green New Deal. What if we created hundreds of thousands or millions of jobs rebuilding our infrastructure and getting off of uh, fossil fuels and getting towards the energy of the future? I mean, it can be looked at not as a downside, not as a detriment, not as something that's, you know, a hurdle to get over, but it can be embraced as a job creation, wealth creation program. And so I, I kind of agree with Trumpka that you always want to pair these things together so working people know I'm on your side no matter what. Um, you also should, of course, be on the side of the environment and reasonable regulation, no doubt, but you need to pair them together so that the message is clear up front. Um, and I do think this is a rare area where I think Biden actually gets that, and he will act more like that in the future, where you pair it with whatever you're doing that would kill jobs, you pair it with something that creates jobs. So, but either way, I love this exchange. I think uh, Jonathan Swan or whatever his name is does a good job there. But he is clearly trying to like create a wedge and a rift between the unions and Biden, which by the way isn't too hard if you look at Biden's record, because he's no Bernie Sanders when it comes to trade deals, for example. Um, he certainly, Biden certainly had way more union support than Trump. Um, but you know, he's no Bernie Sanders. He's kind of, in many ways, a standard neoliberal Democrat. But he has the the cultural aesthetic of I'm helping the working guy. You know what I mean? I was gonna say in a similar way to Trump, but Trump only half has that because he's billionaire with the goofy hair and all that shit. But he did the fake populist shit, right? In the case of Biden, he's got that you know old Uncle Joe flair to him. So he's got the aesthetic, culturally, of being aligned with union types, but, you know, his record is, is mixed, to say the least. All right, let's talk about a story that's a wake-up call, and it proves the importance of regulation. So here's a story that should absolutely terrify all of you but the good news is the answers are simple so this is in usa today i think it's originally reported by the ap arsenic toxic metals found in baby food including walmart gerber Beechnut brands according to new report um so it's just as bad as it sounds like it is i'll read you a, a few parts here there's one part that says The FDA finalized guidance for infant rice cereal, recommending it contain no more than 100 parts per billion of arsenic. The subcommittee's report said Beechnut used some ingredients that tested as high as 913 parts per billion for arsenic. 100 is the limit, they had 913 in some of their products. Another company, Earth's Best Organics, used ingredients that tested as high as 309 parts per billion. You got nine times and three times more than what you're supposed to have in there. They also say the report found some instances where manufacturers tested ingredients, but not final products, even though the levels of toxic metals might be higher in the finished products. It also found instances where manufacturers set internal standards, but still sold foods that exceed them. Do you see the problem here? I mean, this is why you can never allow self-regulation. This is why you don't leave it up to the companies. Because basically, they're going to get away with whatever. And so they did this whole kabuki theater thing of we have high standards and we've set them. But then they just don't enforce them. Or they test them in a weaselly way where they know they're circumventing the rules. They test them when it's just the individual ingredients, even though when you put them together, the, you know, the toxic metal um, amount increases significantly. there are potential colossal downsides to this stuff. Effectively, you could be poisoning your baby. That's what it is. And I think that this is way too stark a reality check here, which just shows us that that same mindset that we've applied on COVID is like the mindset that goes all throughout the rest of society. And when I say that, I mean, like, at a certain point, everybody just sort of threw their hands up and was like, "Huh? Ah, what are you going to do? You get it, you get it, you don't, you don't. And, like, we're, we just handle it in such a crazy way, COVID. You know, it, there's not nearly as much of the sense of urgency as I would like to see. Well, it's the same thing. When we have lax regulations that lead to poison baby food, I mean, this is a scandal that should require immediate action, ASAP. And this is something that should get the all-day coverage On you know the news networks with the breaking news banner and whatnot, but this isn't going to be treated like that. It's not. It's going to be largely ignored. I wouldn't be surprised if you see no, nothing on this on the mainstream media outlets. You know, you're only going to get it in the independent media outlets. But this is serious. This is way more important than any bullshit Trump drama that they're going to give us now. Or now they're spoon feeding us the Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff because she was a conspiracy theorist and they love. They can't get enough of it. She's their new obsession. This is what you need to cover. This is what you need to talk about. Our government is effectively sitting idly by while food companies poison babies. And listen, you guys know the dynamic too. If this doesn't get addressed, one of the main reasons why it wouldn't be addressed is because I'm sure these companies help fund politicians for their campaigns. And so these politicians... If I scratch your back, you scratch mine. That's what it is. So you funded my campaign. I guess I'm going to have to go ahead and look the other way and not regulate you sufficiently. Because if I regulate you sufficiently, it might cut into your profits. And it might mean you got to do recalls. I don't want to hurt your bottom line. And so what are you going eh, to do? If the arsenic level is a little too much for the babies, they'll be all right. That'll be the mindset. They'll be all right. This actually reminds me of the conversation that Joe Rogan had with Dave Rubin, where um, Joe was saying, listen, regulation matters when you're building stuff, because you can, you can cut corners that save you time and money now, but the problem can manifest 10 years from now, all because you cut a corner 10 years ago, and you knew you were doing the wrong thing, and you did it anyway. That's what these people would do. That's what happens in a totally laissez-faire market. There are huge downsides. This is another thing like that. Poison baby food, you might not see symptoms until it's already too late. We need to regulate it effectively. This is babies we're talking about. Even if it was, even if it was adults, we need to regulate the food in an intelligent way. Stop the corruption, stop the companies from owning the government. And then we can address the problems. We can regulate them. We can enforce it. There can be strict penalties. But the way it works now, I I don't even know if this is going to be addressed or enforced. Because there were new rules put in, but they're violating them, and now nothing's happening. But this really should be a wake-up call, man. You need intelligent regulation of the marketplace in order for it to be safe and in order for it to be fair and just. Or you could have poison babies, your choice. Okay. Now we're gonna talk about the YouTube crackdown, which brings me no joy. YouTube did a new giant crackdown on independent media. Um, this is a really upsetting thing. I don't know what has happened since this occurred. So this happened, like, last week. I don't know how it's been ameliorated. I think some people have gotten it fixed, but others haven't. So let me show you some of the details here. YouTube has demonetized Graham Elwood, the Progressive Soapbox, the Combo Couch, and Ford Fisher for entirely unspecified reasons. The appeals process is entirely opaque and unaccountable. They could be left demonetized for months or forever with no explanation. So, more examples, there's another channel by the name of Frank Analysis. They were demonetized. Jordan Sheridan had uh, you know, the video poll that we talked about. He had a journalist on the ground at the attempted insurrection and the guy simply recorded everything going on around him and that video was pulled. And they pulled it because they said, oh, this is spreading misinformation or whatever. It was literally just documentary footage. So, now again, I don't, this happened like a week ago. So I don't know, some, some of them I think have gotten their monetization back. Some of them haven't. Some channels were just flat out pulled. Um, but either way, here we go again. Now this stuff tends to happen in waves. But when the waves hit, holy shit, this reminds me of the original um, adpocalypse, as it was called, where overnight, my channel, David Packman's channel, so many channels that YouTube just shut it all down for news and politics, were fully demonetized. The blink of an eye. Man, it was terrifying. And it was at that time we created the Patreon account, and I said, I don't trust these guys, and I'm never going to trust them again. So if you support the show, you know, help a brother out and pay a dollar or two per month on Patreon. Because, I mean, this is this incredibly scary overnight to be completely defunded. Well, now, others have experienced that exact same thing that I experienced, whatever it was. 2017, was it? 2018? Something like that. Um, you can't trust YouTube. You can't trust YouTube. And again, as was pointed out here, there's no process. There's no clear rules. There's no, there's no reasonable interpretation of the rules. Just like with the Jordan Charity example... They're not even following their own fucking rules. Uh, I don't know, you're promoting conspiracies. He was just recording what was happening. You know, listen, some of these guys, I know Jamal Thomas, the progressive soapbox. I don't know the size of the channel. I think he probably, what, 30,000, 50,000 subs, something along those lines. Don't quote me on that. I'm just guessing and going based off memory here, but that's a decent-sized channel. And the guy does a lot of good work. Woke up and rug was pulled out from underneath him. Graham Elwood. That's another guy whose work I'm familiar with. I think he's a little bit newer to the, you know, uh, lefty talk scene compared to most of the other people who are on the scene. But just overnight, boom, it it totally demonetized. They don't give him a reason. They don't. Listen, be careful what you wish for. Everybody who's cheering on censorship, everybody who's cheering on deplatforming. everybody who's cool with the algorithms that screw the little guy, here we are. Here we are, and it's getting better for the big guys and worse for the little guys. You know, I mean, how many times have I told the story about how in the 2016 election, the algorithm was treating us pretty fairly, and we doubled the size of the channel. You could watch a CNN video and get recommended a secular talk video. Now we're deprioritized, and we don't get recommended nearly as much. So if if you already watch the show, you'll get recommended videos. But if you're a new person, it's almost impossible to come across a secular talk video. It is incredibly hard. And, and, and I, they don't admit this part, YouTube doesn't, but I'm convinced there are, there's a tier system for everything. There's a tier system for how the algorithm treats you. There's a tier system for monetization. And they really are creating this hierarchy where at the top are the outlets that get shit wrong all the time. Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, zero accountability for them They could push conspiracies all day long like Russiagate. No accountability whatsoever. They get away with everything. They're just viewed as the gold standard. And then the the smaller you go and the more independent you go, the more they get screwed by the system. And this is another example. Happened all at once. All at once this happened. Demonetizing some people who are doing good work. Plenty of people here doing some good work. Ford Fisher, by the way is just another person who's just an on-the-ground documentarian, if you will, following extremist groups. They, They couldn't differentiate between being an extremist and, like, advocating for genocide and somebody who is chronicling how crazy those people are. Couldn't distinguish, couldn't differentiate. And Ford Fisher, this has happened previously with, see what happens when we open this door? should never cheer for censorship or deplatforming or demonetization because it's always going to hit the left because it's not about left-right overall. It's about who's powerful and who's not. And anybody who's independent, regardless of where they fall on the political spectrum, if you question orthodoxy and the prevailing narrative and the conventional wisdom of the establishment, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And so anyway, I hope it works out for all these people. I hope YouTube reverses the decision. Like I said, some of them I think they have, others I don't know. But nobody should have to go through this, man. There's zero protections. It's just you blink and all of a sudden you're fully demonetized or your channel is totally pulled down or whatever. And um, it's got to stop, got to stop. And the other thing that's got to stop is they got to stop pretending like Fox News and CNN and MSNBC are the gold standard and good at what they do. And they push their stuff out relentlessly. There was a time when CNN used to get 700 views per video. Now they get hundreds of thousands and millions. But it's because it's force-fed to people. They've got to create a more fair monetization system, algorithm system, so on and so forth, because this is unacceptable. Okay. What you're about to see here is, uh, in all seriousness, one of the most extreme segments I've ever seen on Fox News. And that really says a lot, because you know it's a cesspool. Let's take a look at this.
11: I mean, for a while we
10: wanted to keep them alive, because they actually would help us with intelligence, whether they knew it or not. They yes. mentioned certain things, noticed their body language, and helped us get Bin Laden and others. But they've been out of touch now for, uh, since 2001, so that they don't really have the contacts so you wonder why we just don't kill them, um, you know, and put them on trial. All, they all should get the death penalty, and, and we already they know the facts, David. Most of them have admitted to it, and now they're belligerent, and they're in our face and their are And it makes us look unserious. It makes us look, exactly, it makes us look unserious on the global stage. Look at those Americans right. 20 years later, can't figure it out. There will be no consequences. Lawyer up, and you just fine.
2: Can't overstate how dead wrong they are about all of it. Obviously, the, you know, the kill them all, that's beyond egregious and immoral and unethical and evil and wrong from that perspective, but also just on the the facts of it, they're wrong. So here's what I mean. Guys, every, you know, investigative look at Guantanamo Bay and what happened there and who is there, every single one comes back and they say, oh, my God, all these people are innocent, not guilty, not guilty. We've covered, we're one of the few outlets that's really gone deep on this topic over the years where there was like a, I believe it was a fantastic Guardian article that really broke it down, but most of the people at Guantanamo Bay, the way they got there is the sketchiest thing you've ever heard in your life. After 9-11, you had Bush and Cheney reached out to warlords in Afghanistan and Pakistan and said, listen, we were just attacked and we need to get the people who did it. And the people who did it Um, are al-Qaeda. And so what happened is they cut a deal with warlords in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and these warlords went out and rounded up all of their political enemies and shipped them to the United States and said to Bush and Cheney, here's al-Qaeda. That's what happened. People weren't al-Qaeda. They were the enemies of the warlords in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and it turns out, not the most trustworthy people. By the way, it also turns out some of these warlords have child sex slaves, and U.S. soldiers were told to keep quiet When they blew the whistle on that and said, why are we allying with people who have child sex slaves? Aren't these the people who we should be fighting? Aren't these the people who we should be saving the population and the children from? No. Shh, be quiet. Be quiet about it. These are our allies. So the people who are at Guantanamo Bay and we're at Abu Ghraib, a lot of them are innocent. A lot of them are innocent. By the way, even if they weren't, there's this thing called due process and human rights that applies. Where, yes, you have to have some sort of a system. You have to have a day in court. You have to have a way to adjudicate the guilt or innocence of the person. Because this is what civilized people do. What you're hearing on Fox News is an argument for blatant savagery. That's what you're hearing. Kill them all. They should all get the death penalty. Most of them admitted to it. What are you talking about most of them admitted to it? It's the exact opposite. All the data shows, all the evidence shows, most of the people there are totally innocent. We have detailed stories on... On individuals who were there, just to give one example, because I remember covering this years back, look up a guy by the name of Marat Kurnaz. I believe he was like a German citizen who was in the Middle East, and he was just s- swept up and shipped off to Guantanamo Bay, and he was there for so long. And I think the German government had to get involved and be like, you got to release our – what are you doing? He's a German citizen. You can't do this. They actually say it makes us look unserious that we're not killing them all. No, what makes us look unserious is having Guantanamo Bay in the first place. Having an illegal and unconstitutional and extrajudicial prison. That's what makes us look unserious. By the way, these people always pretend like they love the Constitution and they scream it from the rooftops. This is the most insanely unconstitutional thing I've ever seen. The government is supposed to not violate your protection from cruel and unusual punishment. It's obviously cruel, and it's obviously unusual to lock people up extrajudicially and torture them. And the details of the torture are, of course, out of this world as well. But they're arguing for more savagery. They're arguing for being barbaric, for killing people, even though there was no process, and even though what we do know already up front is that a lot of these people are innocent. That's Fox News for you. Now, again, listen, in a world that made sense, this is one of those things that actually crosses the line. I mean, this actually crosses the line. This is people who are supposed to be on-air personalities, journalists or reporters or whatever they consider themselves. And this is them not doing their job. To do your job effectively in one of these positions, you should give information. You should be educational. You can give your opinion. But this is flat-out advocating for direct violence. That's what this is. And by the way, I haven't heard of this. This got no coverage. Props to case study QB for finding this, but I didn't hear anybody talk about this anywhere. When to me, yet again, this is an example of like, this is a big story. Now that's what we do on our conservative networks. We advocate for murder casually. That's what we do. Yeah, they don't count because they're brown and they're, you know, at Guantanamo. So fuck them. This is the thought process. Is this where we are? Apparently, this is where we are. You're only going to hear about this here. Casually advocating for murder on Fox News. Okay. Let me take a final break real quick. When we come back, I got a few more stories for you. I got an amazing new poll, and I see if I can find the Dave Rubin, Rubin clips. Stay right there, y'all.
11: y'all. We're back.
2: We are back. We are back. Let me give you the final few stories here. A little bit of a wake-up call for everybody. I feel like um, people are getting a little too relaxed in regards to Trump and the existence of Trumpism. So here's the reality check. There's a new poll out from Echelon Insights. Um, It was done in late January, and the results are something else. The 2024 National Republican Primary, here's how it looks. Pence, this is without Donald Trump, by the way. Pence, 21%. Trump Jr., 10%. Nikki Haley, 9%. Cruz, 8%. Rand Paul, 3%. Romney, 3%. Tucker Carlson, 2%. Ron DeSantis, 2%, Rubio, 2%, Kasich, 2%, Cotton, 1%, Tim Scott, 1%, Pompeo, 1%, Crenshaw, 1%, Hogan, 0%. And then you don't see this on screen here, but it also says Hawley at 0%, Abbott, 0%, Stefanik, 0%, and Ben Sasse, 0%. Whoa, 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 whoa. So um, the Trump wing of the party is dominating at the moment. Because three of the top four, I would say, are more Trump-wing than anything else. Pence is more Trump-wing. Trump Jr. is obviously more Trump-wing. Haley's not. She's more from the elitist establishment conservative wing. And Cruz has a line more with the Trump-wing. So the one that's non-Trump is Haley, because she's beloved by the establishment types. Um, And she's in third at 9%. So without Trump in the picture, Pence has a giant lead for the 2024 National Republican primary. By the way, as I predicted, um, he's Trump without the uh, the unstable energy. You know He's got that fake politician talk down very well. So uh, this is a disaster. and I guess the point here is, the media has gotten too comfortable. Oh, Trump's gone since he's been banned from Twitter and since he's been out of office. Thank God we actually are getting a relief. Uh, we are getting, we're, we are able to take a, a breath of fresh air and this is a giant relief and, and all this. But Trumpism went nowhere and that's still the dominant strain in the party. So, you know, the Liz Cheney types who are out there arguing vociferously for her side in this Republican Civil War. That's more among the elite class. The actual voters, even though Trump lost, the base of the party is still head over heels for him, which is something else. It really is. So it's going to be messy, but I would love to see them rip each other apart, the Trump wing versus the more establishment wing, um, because that paves the path for the Democrats more. Uh, The only problem is that the Democrats probably feel even less like they have to do anything for the people if the Republicans eat themselves alive. So there's all sorts of dynamics that can unplay that can, unplay, that can play out um, over the next few years. But I got my eye on it closely. And the fact of the matter is Trumpism is still the dominant philosophy to the extent there is a philosophy among the Republican voters. All right, let's make fun of Dave Rubin for the final clip. There's an amazing clip that I'm about to show you. Um, Making fun of Dave Rubin is, let's be honest, one of the favorite things of left-wing YouTubers to do, for good reason, for good reason. So this is, uh, you know, Dave fancies himself a comedian, or at least he was a comedian and you're going to see why maybe he has to transition into political commentary and not do comedy, primarily, because uh, here's a little bit of a compilation of Dave doing stand-up.
5: I'm a little different in comedy form. I'm coming back. I mean, I used to do this. This is what I did. Okay. I forgot that I'm good at this. All right. Doesn't that seem weird that gays now hate the Mormons? Like a Mormon... Wants to have a lot of wives, and I want to fuck one dude. Why are we fighting? What are we fighting over? What are we fighting over? Thank you for that smile, sir. That was a very supportive smile. Very good. So is this your lady right here? Are you in a lady mode? Do you go in modes? I'm always wondering about the bisexual. No. So you just, you don't? Lesbians giving other lesbians flowers. Have you ever heard anything more beautiful? Than that. Obviously, you have. Oh, you have a. I'm feeling a lot's gonna happen between you two. This woman and this man right there.
0: Dan Abrams' cock is huge.
5: What? Okay. You have your foot up his balls. If I know anything about gays, it's that they don't want monogamy. Good night, everybody. No. Did did I lose you there? No. Too heartfelt, right? With a little delay here, what happened? You were with me, now I needed you. That's where I could have used you for a second and you were drinking Amstel Light, the beer of lesbians. Yeah. But I would tell you there is something in Wolf Blitzer's beard that you don't want to see when you're when you're still. So we excited, Obama is the No, you're cold. You're just a cold you're a cold you know that the gays are cold. That they don't they fear the cold. The gays gays love water but fear the cold. Exciting. I uh I'm very happy. We had, the comics are literally so excited. As I walked out, one of the comedians said to me, how gay are you going to be for this show? Which I think, that's, that's a sign, don't you think? Okay, we'll edit laughter in there. So, Good grammar. Lychee. I got some leachie. I'm, I'm not kidding. As I had it in my mouth, she said to me, Dave, you know, that has the same consistency as vagina. And I've been out of the game for probably 10 years, and can anyone else confirm that? Is it, is it a heavy uh, vagina uh, feeling?
2: It brings me nothing but happiness to know that I'm funnier than Dave Rubin, and I'm not a comedian. Never wanted to be a comedian, but I'm significantly funnier than Dave Rubin, and that makes my day. Without even trying, I'm way funnier than Dave Rubin. I want to make fun of him, but let's, let's be kind. I don't know why I'm being kind, but I'm going to be kind. Comedy is really hard, man. It really is. And the thing that I learned, um, first of all, it's easy to, to be funny on, like, the show because there's no pressure. There's no pressure. There's no people who are directly in front of me right now, and I don't have, like, I don't have the tyrannical thought of needing to make them laugh right now, like right this instant. Because if you tell me, like, do the thing that makes me laugh, I'm probably not going to be able to do it well. Because you can't do it on command. Comedy is such like a visceral thing that you can't... It's hard to do it on command. And so when people can make other people laugh on command, they're really a master of this, you know? Um, So I could be inadvertently funny, um, but to be put on the spot is much more difficult. But here's what I learned from the few times I actually did, kind of did stand up. What I learned is the punchline is never really the thing that you think it's gonna be. So I've given a few best man speeches in my time. In one of them, I cried like a bitch. It was really pathetic and incredibly embarrassing. Um, And then there was one other where I, I didn't cry and I was able to kind of do what was basically a stand up routine. I didn't intend it that way when I started giving the speech, but the speech was like kind of funny. And as I was telling the story, I was getting some fucking good laughs, man. But the thing I realized is the lines that I thought would get the biggest reactions didn't. And some of the lines that I thought were just like throwaway lines got huge laughs. And so, yes, what I learned at that point in time is that it's definitely more of an art than a science comedy. You got to feel it out. You got to like the other thing. I mean, obviously, timing is everything. So the line needs to be funny, but also your timing and your cadence and your rhythm to how you speak is so important. Um, and without that, you got nothing. And so in the case of Dave Rubin, you know, why exactly is he so colossally unfunny? I don't know, man. Your guess is as good as mine. Um, his timing's not great, but I also don't think it's terrible. I do think the material is just not good at all. But, yeah, I don't know, but he is phenomenally unfunny. And it is it is pretty sad that... Me, I'm somehow funnier than him, and I've never wanted to be a comedian, never thought of myself that way, but effortlessly, I'm funnier than him. Corin is a zillion times funnier than Dave Rubin, Um, so it's good he made the career switch, and we all know exactly why he made the career switch. The problem is, he's just as bad, if not worse, at political commentary. Okay. All right, y'all. I love you, baby. Hope everybody's doing well. I will be talking to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. It's time for me to go eat. I'm out, bitch. Peace. Peace.